If you would please open up to Titus chapter 3. Yes, I think we can get through 15 verses. We will see (laughs) how everything goes. I'm going to read those verses, uh, not all throughout, just for time's sake, so I can get through these 15 verses. But I do want to draw your attention, starting with verse 11 through 15, which is at the end of what we talked about last week, because it is a lead through right into what we need to talk about today so that you're not missing the the context or the, the flow of the letter. Remember, this was written as a letter, right? It's an epistle. There was no chapters and verses. It's just one letter. So I want to make sure you follow along. So if you look at, now if you forgot your Bible, just look at the back of a pew. There's a, there's a Bible there you can share or, look, or just scoot over and look at someone else's. Uh, they will share. They, they'll show love. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, key word, redeem us, purchase us out of that slavery, for every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities to obey and to be ready for every good work. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. As we take a look and we start here and we of chapter 3, we have to keep in mind what this letter has been about. It's Paul writing a letter to a young pastor by the name of Titus that he more than likely led to the Lord and discipled him up in the faith. And now he is on the island of Crete and ministering to the churches there on this island. These Cretans were a wild bunch of people. (laughs) These were not calm type people, if you know, historically. And we see back there in the first chapter how they describe these men and women. They were a bunch of liars and cheaters and stealers. You name the list of things that goes on and on in their lives. And these are who Titus was ministering to. And here's Paul writing a letter to encourage him in the faith to continue the good work of ministering to these people on this island. And he came across, and as we see in our subject today, is to remember. And he's going to close his letter out by helping Titus remember some key things as a pastor ministering to those in the church. Paul communicates to Titus that he needed to do and to build a healthy church. How does he do that? By doing it God's way because God is the one who actually builds the church. He's just the vessel that is being obedient to God's direction to actually do the, the work within the church. And the church is established on three basic elements that we see Paul writing to uh, Titus to, uh, to bring about, to bring importance to, or to highlight, to remind him of the things he already knew. He's just reminding him. That's what, that's what all pastors do. 
It's the key part of a pastoral public ministry is to constantly repeat himself over and over and over like a good parent does with a child. You think you only say it once and you think, especially men. Men was like, I told the child once. And the mom looks and goes, you've been told many things many times over and you still don't get it. So how can your child not get it yet? So, so we have to repeat ourselves over and over. And that's what a pastor does is, to, is a public mystery is to reminding the people of what they already know or encourage them to continue to do the things that is true. But we saw that Paul reminded Timothy, I mean, sorry, I'm still on Timothy, wow, Titus, uh, with Titus, then Titus chapter 1 was all about leadership. Titus, you must appoint good, solid leaders within the church, godly leaders, not just leaders who want to just get some power and position, but godly leaders who are going to be purity. There's going to be purity and leadership. That means the elders, the pastor is going to be a pure, someone, a godly character to be put in a position of leadership. And it's supposed to be consistently gives Jesus control over their lives in every aspect of his life. And who is, has a steadfastness, a grounding in solid God, sound doctrines, healthy doctrine. Only the word of God that's solid. That's who those men need to be. The second thing you need to do, Titus, is you need to disciple up the people in the congregation. You need to disciple them up so that they understand that sound doctrine. You are to teach and teach and teach and teach and teach until you have no more energy from me to teach. But you're to remind the people, God's people, of the sound doctrine in the Word of God. To live and encourage them to live godly lives. Discipleship is all about learning and growing together as God's people in God's word to be able to build a unified body in Christ. That is what discipleship is. And then today, chapter 3, we will see Paul is going to address the need to be responsible for what God has for his church and encourages us in these paths that God takes us, even as a church body, but more, in, more individually, Paul is telling Titus, encourage those believers there on that island. They need to stay on the path that God has them, which is the truth of God, and they have to be good stewards. Stewardship is the third element. Leadership has to be established, disciple the people up, and then chapter 3 we see is being good stewards. Our stewardship needs to be taught. Now here in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 that we looked at, the very first thing he says is remind them. You, do you remember these things? Do you remember these truths? That's what your pastors are trying to get across to you. Remember, remind you, remind me to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for good, for every good work. You're not to speak evil to no one, to be peaceable and gentle. Showing all humility, all, all means what? All, to who? To all men. To all, how many? All, right? I mean, it's pretty simple here at Calvary Chapel. We keep it very simple in the English language. Why? Because we wanted it that simple. Simply reading the word simply so that you can understand it and apply it to your life because that's what's most important. 
As James says, you don't be just hearers of the word, you need to be doers of the word. You don't just know of Jesus, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. There's a difference. Even Satan knows who Jesus is, that doesn't make him safe, and he's not going to stay in heaven and be with Jesus for eternity. He's going to hell. So there's a difference. So we're to remind them, to, in this grammar, the ancient Greek language of remind means a present tense language here. It means to go on reminding. Titus, keep on reminding. Keep going. Go, go. go do it again. Have you talked about it? Yes. Go again. You keep talking about the gospel every week. Yes. And I'm going to keep reminding you of the gospel. Why? Because the power is in the word of God, in the gospel, the good news. People need to hear it. We need to be reminded of it. Because this world is really dark. And we have to be reminded of us. So we see here he's supposed to remind who? Them. Them is the church body. Them being back in verses 1 through 10. The older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, the, the bond servants. All people need to be reminded of God's truth, sound doctrine. And he highlights to us seven qualities he lists there for Titus to remind them, expecting as Christian citizens in the community or on that island, they were to be good citizens. You're not supposed to be, give your life to Jesus Christ. You become this Christian. You become born again. You've been regenerated. And all of a sudden you're supposed to separate yourself and isolate yourself. Almost in, get a whole separate community and never interact with the community that you're part of. That is not Christianity. You understand that. So any religion that says once you become uh, uh, part of that religion, you now separate yourself and you don't ever interact with the community. No, we're to be light. We're to be salt. We're supposed to go out and reach those who do not know the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to interact with the community. But when you as a Christian go out into the community, Paul is telling Titus to tell the people, to remind them these seven qualities. You need to be subject to the rulers and authorities. Why? Because God appoints those in the positions of authority. Yes, from the president to your Congress people to the governor, yes. God appointed, allowed down to the mayor, yes, yes. All the, the police officers, those who are... These are appointed ministers, especially the police, ministers to the people to keep order and keep safety. That is how God designed it. And us as a Christian, we're supposed to be subject to these rulers and authorities as long as they do not go against the word of God or cause you to do immoral things. That's where we draw the line. Are you with me? We are not as Christians to go out and storm the castle. That's not what we do. That's not godly. That's not what God calls us to do. But he does say to continue to be good in your society, you should vote because that is part of your society responsibilities. And that is how we get change if we do not agree with the change. But we see here very clearly that he gives us these seven things and we're to be subject to the authority. We're supposed to be obedient. We're supposed to be ready to do good. We're not to slander people. We're, not, we're supposed to be peaceable. We're not to cause unrest in society. We're, not, we're supposed to be gentle or considerate. We're to be humble 
to all men. <laughs> We're supposed to be humble. It's a humbled spirit as a Christian. That doesn't make us weak. Understand that. You've heard me say it. You take a, just a thoroughbred, a horse, and you look at it and it so, seems so calm and so steady. But watch when that horsepower kicks in, watch out. You, you're, you're not going to stop that horse when the horsepower kicks in. And it's the same thing for us. We're gentle, we're peaceable, but wait till our Lord moves. When the Holy Spirit moves with power, there's nothing going to stop God working in and through our lives. No one can do that. No weapon can be formed against us. We know the scripture. So we know who's on our side. It's Father's Day. It's easy to say. I have a very big father. <laughs> He's, my heavenly father is so big. Your, your daddy's not as big as my daddy. You know, He's going to take, take care of me and protect me as his child. I don't have any worries about anything or anyone. Because my heavenly father has me in his right hand. And nothing can touch my life unless it's been father filtered first. Now, once you become a born again, you're a child of God. You have that assurance. Do you have that? If you're sitting there and you're born again, you're, you're a child of God. Do you know you have 100% assurance that your heavenly father will not allow anything in your life that's not good? If he allows something to come in your life that you think is not good, it still means God's allowed it because he's sovereign, he's in control, and he's doing it for your good. <laughs> you and I may not feel like it's good, but God said that's what is needed, especially if you need to be disciplined, if you're being a disobedient little boy. He'll, he'll correct us. Thank God for a good father who doesn't let us wander out there in the streets to get hit by a car. Amen? So we see here these qualities are very important. Why? Because he says they need to be ready. We all need to be ready for some, uh, you know, a, a life that is for, to do what is good and what is right in the eyes of God. We need to be ready for every good work. We should not choose to live the Christian life in some passive way in isolation. No, we're supposed to, as Titus is being taught here to remind them, it means that you're supposed to be involved in the matters of the whole community. We should be engaged with the community and know what's going on in the community. A Christian citizen should be a positive influence within our society within the community in every way possible. Being a light of the loving kindness, the lovingness of Christ should permeate ever wherever God is guiding you within the community. Yes, you're going to do great things and good work within this building, within the church. No question. You'll want to do, when you grow and mature, you can't not help but want to serve using the gift or gifts that God has given you. But that's not just for the church here. You're supposed to go out into the community, wherever you're working, you are to be a good citizen. You are to use those spiritual gifts in and wherever he's planted you to share the gospel and to be the best employee that anyone has ever seen in that, that company or the best employer who's there literally taking good care of their people. Or if you're in the military like I was at one day, you are going to be the best leader in the, in the military. You're not going to do it. You're going to do it God's way. You're not going to do it the world's way. 
Why? Because you know if you do it God's way, it will be fruitful, it will be good, and God will reward you and bless you in doing whatever he has, those good works he has you to do. it's, It's the way the scripture is, if you do it his way. And that's why it's so important that we do that, and we do that in a way that we speak no evil of anyone. Hello? Now keep in mind, Titus was living on an island full of pagans. I mean pagan worshipers. I mean worldly, worldly people. And they were on an island. You, it's not like they can get off the island. So he had to live, and the Christians had to live in a very difficult world. A difficult society. And he says, you are not to go out into the community and speak evil of anyone. That's not what we do. Why? We need to be peaceable. We need to be gentle. We need to show humility. A humbleness. We can't look at ourselves, I'm a Christian and you're not. And you look down upon them. That is not how Christianity is to be. We're to be humbled. This word gentle means an attitude of reasonableness or moderation. That's what it means in the Greek here. We're willing to compromise with and work with the the community as long as they do not tell us we have to violate moral issues or go against the word of God. We're willing to work and, and work together on these things. It was important that they be good citizens without compromising their faith. Their pagan neighbors might disobey the law and they have no problem with it. There's no conviction. But for you and I as Christians, we are to submit to the law of the land. We see that in Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 for some of, the, so for some of you who are having challenges with what I'm teaching. Go back and read Romans 13, 1 through 7. That will help you. We see in Philippians 3.20, we're heavenly citizens. When you become a child of God, you are now a citizen of heaven. This is not our home. This is all temporary for us. But it doesn't excuse us from our responsibilities as citizens on this earth while we're here. We see it in 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. Therefore, I exhort first of all the supplication prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made to all men for kings people in power and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence so why do we become good citizens and why do we help and contribute and do good works in helping people in the community? Because it leads people who do not know Christ will look at your life and say, they are a Christian, I hear. I hear they're godly man, a godly woman. That's a godly family. I, we want to be like that. because They seem they got it together. They seem to have peace and joy and love within the family unit. That's what my, I want my family to be like. I want that to be my marriage. I want my kids to be that well self-controlled and loving the parents. There's a quality about living a godly life and then going out and being that light in a community that causes people to seek after God. Do you understand that? And you haven't even spoke a word. You're just living a godly life and people are watching and God points people and looking at you and go, I want that for my life. I want that peace. 
And I want that joy. And I want that to be my godly family. I don't want to continue to live like I've been living. I don't want to make the same mistakes my father made. And I don't want the sin to go from my father to me to my son and generation upon generation. It has to stop now. It has to stop here. And you have to make that decision, my fathers, my brothers. You must make that decision. We see in verse 3, we remember, it says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, means bitterness, and envy, that means jealousy or resentment toward others, hateful and hating one another. So Paul says to Titus, do you know why we live peaceably with the rest of the non-believers, all the pagan non-believers around us in the community? Because don't forget you were like that. That was you just a little while ago. The only difference is that you've been saved by grace. They haven't heard the gospel and they haven't chosen to surrender their life. So they're still back in the old state that you used to be. How did you and I used to be? Notice Paul uses there in the second word of chapter 3. For we, Paul was included in this. Remember, he was a sinner of all sinners, even though he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. A very religious person. But he was killing Christians under the name of God. So he understood that. Titus, don't be, don't be, don't be fooled, because we used to be very foolish before we gave our life to Jesus. We used to be very disobedient. We used to be very, it was so deceived. And we deceived so many other people. We served ourselves through various lusts and pleasures. That's what we kept seeking after in our lives. Remember Titus? Remember all the bitterness we have toward people? Do you remember all the jealousy and resentment we had with our neighbors and everybody else in our workplace? Remember the hate? That was used to be in our hearts, Titus, remember? Remember how we hated one another over the craziest things? And God freed us from all of that? Titus, that is why we can't forget where we came from and then have a passion to reach out and help others to understand there's a different way to live that is good and is right. Paul never forgot the sinful condition from which he and his fellow brothers and sisters had been freed from. And he's reminding them once again in the letter. Remember? Do you remember? Do you remember where we came from? Do you see what God has done in our lives and changed? How can we share? How can we keep that to ourselves? How can we not share that with other people? so that they too are set free from the bondage of sin. How can you? If you, if you hold it back, that's a, a form of selfishness. If you don't share the good news. Again, Paul linked this duty to doctrine. Don't be too critical of your pagan neighbors. Remember what you were, were before God saved you? That's what what drove Paul to write to Titus here is to remember. Remember, we once were, were just shows us how far we had fallen. 
Our nature was so far from God. And we must remember, we ourselves are a living proof of the power of God's grace. Did you know that? How many times have you met someone who listens to you and they look at you and go, there is no way, there's no way you were in jail. There's no way you live like that. There's no way you did that. There's no way. You, because all they see is the after effect of what God has done in your life. It doesn't show any resemblance to the fact that you were an alcoholic or a drug addict or a sex addict or whatever it may be. They don't see that in your life because God has changed you. You become a light to what God's grace can do in someone's life. And that should also remind us as brothers and sisters today, it is not hopeless to imagine that these out-of-control Cretans can be saved as well. Titus, if God can save me and can save you, Titus, there's so much hope that God can save that man across the street from you that is just out of control. Did you know that? We should never today see someone on the street and say there's no hope for that man or that woman. You don't know God then. You don't know your God well enough to understand that God saved you. He can save that man and save that woman. There is hope. And you might be the one that are supposed to go tell them the good news to give them hope. You might be the vehicle that God wants to use. If you will take the step of faith and do it. And share the good news. Why? Because Titus, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, unloving. We were brutish, that's the word. And uh, for we were, you lived a brutish existence, like a brute. You were just constantly forcing your way through society. You will force your way to the top. You will force your way to get your way to what you want. You are just a brute. But that's not who you are anymore. That's not me, Paul says. That's not you, Titus. Now go remind the people that is not the way for them to be. And so Paul's really showing four, some really key four characteristics of godliness it should be in your life. What were they? First of all, we should be grateful. There should be a gratitude that God changed you. God has changed us. There should be a humility that we see here, Paul says, that we see that it, it was his, God's work that has changed us. God has come in and changed us. We know that. No one else may know it when we first give our lives to Christ. But we know what took place. We know the 100-pound gorilla coming off our backs. We feel the fact that we just feel like all the shame and guilt and, and uh, it's just been lifted off of our... We remember the day of our salvation. We see the third characteristic, a kindness. This gentleness, this, this, this peaceableness about us is, is in our lives and we, 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 we actually see that coming from our lives. And finally, we see a faith. A faith that God changed us. God can change anybody. Because remember, he died for the whole world. All men and women. Unfortunately, not all men and women will choose him. And that is a very foolish, foolish decision if you do not.
We see in verse 4 through 8, remember this great salvation of God. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward men, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. According to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, that means being rebirthed, and, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Those are very powerful, powerful verses, my brothers and sisters. I pray you'll go back and, and read over and over those verses. Let's take it apart a little bit here for time-wise. Let's bring it through here. It says, Kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward men appear. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, showed up to men. God in the flesh showed up to bring a kindness and a love from him that will lead people to God. We also see that his mercy saved us. How are you saved? By God's mercy. By his kindness. By his love for you. Do you know that God loves you? Yes, he does. Regardless of how you feel right now. God loves you. And we see that this kindness, this, this rescue that he's come in. We even see it in Romans 2.4. That the kindness or the goodness of God leads you to repentance. How is someone saved? When they hear the voice of God in his head and says, I love you and I died for you and I want to save you from your sinful life out of my goodness, out of my kindness, out of my love, out of my mercy. Will you trust me with your life? And you hear the voice of God and you say, yes, I surrender all. That doesn't mean you understand it all. Are you with me? That moment when you just, I just trust God with my life, with all my heart and mind, so I just surrender it all. It leads then to what? We see to repentance. It leads to the realizing God loves you and he died for you. Then all of a sudden you say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I'm a wicked man and I need to be cleansed. I need to be saved. And he's right there has just cleansed you as white as snow. Pure white snow. There's no dirt. It's gone. Wiped away. Made clean. What a freeing moment. You remember that day of salvation? Oh, I still do. Because me, you know my testimony. I wasn't raised in a church. I never opened up a Bible. We never talked about God, let alone godly things. But when I heard the word of God for the very first time, it was like flipping on a switch, and I went from darkness to seeing things I never saw before. So for me, it was a dramatic change. Some of you have been raised in a church format, some church structure, it just was part of your life from the very beginning. And you knew God who it was, and you just kind of matured and grew over a period of time. But whatever your story is, you have to come to that point of complete surrender of your life to Jesus Christ. 
and you'll know that day. It will not be a question. Our salvation isn't based on any works of righteousness that you can do. It says right here, there's no works of righteousness which we have done. It is in and itself is a response to an altar call is not going to save you. A response of just saying the sinner's prayer when everyone else says, because someone said it out loud and I kind of joined it, doesn't save you. Getting baptized doesn't save you. Ch- attending a church doesn't save you. Giving money to the church doesn't save you. Reading the Bible every day does not save you. Those are wonderful works. Those things come once you're saved. Those are are responses as a child of God. Those things we do because we're a child of God already. But they don't save you. They don't earn you stars on your refrigerator. They don't make God somehow love you more. He already loved you. He died on the cross for you already. But we see in the scripture here, Paul tells Titus, it's according to God's mercy that is how we are saved. He offers you a free gift of salvation and each and every one of us choose to receive that free gift or not. I pray you already have. If not, today's the day to do it. Trust your life. Turn it over to him. And be set free. Again, we don't save ourselves. He saved us. But how did he do it? Through the miracle of the new birth. The work of the Holy Spirit of God and forgiving you by his mercy. He forgave you. I mean, look at this. Just look at the words that we just read in those verses. Look at the trend. Look at the key words as you study the word, as you know, as you know how you study the words, the distinction here. It's of God, not by works. His mercy. He saved us. Of the Holy Spirit. He poured out through Jesus Christ, been justified by his grace, become heirs. I mean, these things are, you see, the truths of what we rely upon as a Christian. God's the initiator. He's always the initiator. He's the one that's going to knock at the door of your heart. The question is, do you open it up and receive him? That's man's part. A rebirth. Spoken of as washing of regeneration. Imagine how filthy of sin you are and God comes in, rebirths you, and washes you completely clean. You're a new man, a new woman. And then the Holy Spirit who comes inside you at that moment starts renewing you and changing you, molding you and shaping you. We see it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, when you look at the language here, some people believe 
Paul is referring to a baptismal, baptismal um, regeneration. I don't see it that way. I don't see it in Scripture when you take the totality. I believe Paul is referring to a spiritual cleansing when you get, have a born-again experience. That you're not saved by baptism. You're saved by the Spirit of God coming in and completely changing you. Why do I say that for you note-takers? We see in Ephesians 5.26, and that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That's the second and only other place in all of the scripture that the word washing is in two places in all the scripture. And God is very consistent with the words of the, uh, of the Greek language. So those two places, Ephesians 5.26 and here, talks about the washing of the water by the word of God. And that is how a person is, is born again. We also see in Acts chapter 10, verses 43 through 48, in the New Testament, people were baptized after they were saved and not in order to be saved. There is a difference. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer those questions afterwards. Also remember, salvation comes to a sinner who completely trusts in Christ. And when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about the Spirit of God to move, He brings a new birth in that person. That is how you're saved. And then what He happens? We see in the Scripture, He poured out on us what? God himself is poured out upon us. His, this this, re, this regeneration, this, this cleansing, this, this change through Jesus Christ our Savior. And we become children of God. We see in the scripture here, we become heirs of the, of the heavenly throne. Imagine that. You lived your lives going against God. You hear the word of God. You you. Just know right then and there you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you surrender your life, you're born again, and now you're in the, the, the family of God and heirs to the throne of God. And all the benefits that come from being a child of God, you, you are inheriting that. You've been adopted into the family. That's amazing. But there's one more good news if you notice there. In verse 7, not only is there a rebirth, born again, a renewal, changed life, but we also receive justification. Do you know what justification is? This is the easiest way I could remember when I first got saved. Just as you've never sinned before, you've been justified by God. What does that mean? New birth. Cleaned up, no sin, white as snow, beautiful, loving, looks fabulous. But God takes it to the next level. Do you know this? He looks down. He doesn't see sin in your life, but you've also been justified, which means he doesn't even see a sinner. He doesn't look at your life like a lot of people. Oh, yeah, he's not drinking, but he's always been a drunkard. Everyone classifies you and puts tags on you. You're a drug addict. You're a druggie. You did this. You're, you're a, a brute. You're an angry. People always seem to linger some tags on your life, even though you've been saved, cleansed, changed, and, and new. But not God. God literally looks down, 
Not only doesn't he see any sin, he doesn't even see a sinner. He just sees you as a saint, a child of God, the most precious to him as a father. That is how your heavenly father sees you. That's truth. That's how you should see and understand how your father, your father's not up there looking to figure out a way to swat your butt or yell at you or be critical to you. Your heavenly father literally looks down upon you and sees you and loves you and what he's done in and through you by his son, Jesus Christ. That is how you need to see that. And then we see in verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to obtain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So we see here that we must remember. We must remember that good doctrine applied to your life produces both responsibility as a citizen and also a position where you protect and be positive influence within the church body. You're there to be helpful and courteous and kind. You're not to cause disunity within the church. You're to be part of the solution to be a, a unity within the church. We see in the scripture, if you're disunity, you're a cancer that needs to be brought back to be a healthy cell. And if you're not willing to be a healthy cell, if you're not willing to be a healthy part of the body, then we see in the scripture, we won't get it to today because I'm not going to be able to finish it up, I don't think, here. Because it's getting a little warm. So I'm going to close it down here in verse 8. But we'll save that for next week. So you'll have to come back for the next week. Of how do you deal with some difficult situations? Let me leave you with one more remember. Remember the only evidence the unsaved world has that you belong to God as a child of God is by your godly life you live. I found being in the work world even though I can't talk about godly things out and share the gospel because you're not able to do that in the, by under the rules of, the, of a company that you work for. But I learned many, many, many years ago, I don't have to say anything. The question is, how do I live my life? And my life should look and feel and sound very different from the pagan world that I live around and be a part of. And people automatically can tell, even in the work environment, there's something different about you and how you communicate, how you respond, how you seem to be more of a gentle, self-control, kind, loving. I mean, these things that, that they will be able to ask you what is it about you? Now, if you ask me, then I have the ability to share. 
Because you asked me. <laughs> That's how the rules happen in the, in the work world. You ask me, I get to talk. I just can't do it across, be the first one to do that. But that's what Paul is saying to Titus. And that's what Titus is reminding the people. And that's what the Holy Spirit is reminding through me, teaching the word to you. Be the brightest light in the darkest world that we live in. And watch what God will do in and through your life. Amen?